Hey guys, just here to talk to you about Birth Story Academy. Are you one of the 98% of birthing people planning to birth in a hospital and you have no idea what you want and what the hospital's protocols and procedures are, how to navigate them and how to advocate for yourself? We often think about, do we want an unmedicated birth or a medicated birth? But there's so much more to it. What about a cesarean section? What about a wait and see attitude? So if you are one of the 80% of people hoping to birth without an epidural, but know that 60 to 90% of the United States population actually births with an epidural, and in that statistic, in 35% of all birthing persons have a cesarean section, whether it's planned or unplanned, that is why I built Birth Story Academy. Birth Story Academy is premier childbirth education for getting you prepped to birth in a hospital. You have over 50 decisions to make when you are in prodromal labor, early first stage, late first stage, hard labor, transition, pushing the third stage of labor. As a doula for over 17 years, I have witnessed every minute of labor from the earliest twinges and feelings through every single stage of labor, through transition, through delivery, and into the postpartum period with my clients. In Birth Story Academy, we break down every stage of labor. If you join Birth Story Academy and come on a journey with me, I become your virtual doula, and I help you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So if you're hoping for that unmedicated birth, I'm going to help you with those plans. If your journey takes a different path, we have plans for that too. You will feel educated and empowered whether you have spontaneous labor or an induction or a planned or unplanned cesarean, regardless of what you are desiring for medicated or unmedicated or a wait and see attitude. This course walks you through everything you need to know to prepare and to navigate hospital policies and procedures and to create birth plans that advocate for you. So let's do this. Year after year, 71% of my clients go unmedicated, 25% are induced, and a small 7% or less have a planned or unplanned cesarean section. That's the experience that built Birth Story Academy that's going to help you too. So let's do this. Head over to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey guys, welcome to Doula Diaries. Before we get started, I just want to do a quick practice where you take a deep breath in and inhale. And I want you to affirm for yourself today, whatever it is that your body needs to hear. And now my body needs to hear what I heard in my Peloton meditation app today, which is inhale, I am healing, exhale, I am whole. So whatever brings you to Doula Diaries today, I want to invite you into just a few seconds of breath work where we take a deep breath in and affirm something for yourself. I accept. Exhale. I surrender. Inhale. I am wildly capable. Exhale. I am not afraid. Inhale. I am strong. Exhale. 
I can do anything. Okay, ready to begin with Doula Diaries? Today is all about my week at births as a birth doula. And I fear this sounding like a sermon because (laughs) I'm a little frustrated with our hospital system. And if you follow me on Instagram, which I highly encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Birth Story Podcast, I advocate a lot. And this week, it it kind of it broke me. It kind of tore me down. So I'm inhaling, I am healing, and I am exhaling, I am whole. And this week's episode is going to be about choosing the right provider. Because I am constantly supporting doula clients privately that are not choosing the right provider. And I want to break that down as to what that looks like in labor because it looks different than your gynecological care. If you have a provider that you love who you've seen since you were 18 years old and they did your first pap smear and maybe helped walk you through a cyst on your ovary or your diagnosis of herpes or something that makes you feel bonded to them as your gynecologist. That doesn't mean that they're the right provider for you for your pregnancy, labor, and delivery. One of the things that I admire most about my obstetrician that I had from the time I was 18 years old to the time I was 35 years old is my husband and I had gone in to do family planning and had a little bit of a fertility journey. And when I finally became pregnant about 10 months later, and we started walking through really early about how I was a doula and I was anticipating a more hands-off, more natural, like kind of home birth, but in a hospital setting, he looked me right in the eyes and said, Heidi, I am one of 20 obstetricians in this practice. And while I would give you everything that you want, need, deserve, and desire for your birth, I'm probably not going to be there on the day that you go into labor. And because of that, I'm not sure the other 19 providers in this practice are what you are looking for. And he slid me a piece of paper with a midwife's name on it, Sage Brooke. She was interviewed on the podcast. And he said, I think you should go see Sage and the midwives that she works with. And that's exactly what I did. So I had my OBGYN who had seen me for all of the things, pap smears and STIs and STDs through the years. But when I was pregnant, he identified that he wasn't best suited for the type of birth I was looking for and the care that I needed. So I switched providers about 20, 26 weeks in. When potential doula clients call me and they tell us who their provider is. My work partner, Colin, and I are very open and honest with them about whether or not we believe that the type of birth that they're looking for is going to be like supported and cheerleaded by said practice. We have one or two practices in the area in which I support in North Carolina that we adore where advocacy seems to be low because they just honor body autonomy. And and I wore this shirt this week that says that I made, 
and it says, imagine her body knows exactly what to do. And we have a couple of practices that every midwife in those practices would wear that shirt because they, they believe that statement, right? Like we are imagine, we know her body knows exactly what to do. And so last night I had put a couple of stories on Instagram and I got a message from someone that just kind of got me, right? She said, Heidi, I'm a woman of color on a fertility journey. I'm not quite pregnant yet, but I don't even know where to start to choose a provider. And she's like, I really want to follow some mom bloggers and some OBs and some doulas and diversity is really important to me. And do you have any recommendations? And so I, I voice messaged her back, like all of the Instagram accounts that I love and listen to that are persons of color and that represent diversity and that I really felt like would be supportive and cheerleading her into her journey. But what I also told her was about how to find the right provider. And Colin and I had a couple interviews this week where we had to have the tough conversation of, listen, we will work with you. We will be your doulas. We're so excited, right? But you're telling us that you want a hands-off, unmedicated VBAC. And then you told us the name of the provider that you're working with. And those things aren't allowed. <laughs> that was a that was a subconscious like Freudian slip. Those things are not aligned, okay? So you want to make sure that your provider is not tolerant of your desires for delayed cord clamping, for milking the cord, for an unmedicated birth, for a vaginal birth after cesarean, whatever it is that you're looking for, we want to make sure that you're not choosing a practice of providers that are like tolerant of that, right? You want a a practice of providers that are nurturing, supportive, loving, caring, and they're super nerdy and love science and want to keep you safe, right? Those things are not mutually exclusive. Like I walk into a birth space and I can both be your mother, grandmother, sister, best friend, and I can offer you evidence-based care because I have 17 years of experience as a birth doula, right? So when you're choosing the right provider, you need to interview them. You are a paying customer. So you need to say, I'm envisioning X, Y, and Z. Talk to me about your practice. Like, I love you, Dr. So-and-so, right? Or I, I, you may run into this with a midwife, but probably not. But midwife so-and-so, I love you. How are the other midwives in your practice? How are the other obstetricians in your practice? What are the chances that you specifically are going to be there when I go into my birthing time? And you want to ask the questions, what is your cesarean rate? What is your epidural rate? How often do you see moms induced? If um, birthing persons are induced, how often do they go unmedicated? Ask these questions of doulas that you're interviewing also. So like in my story, I had this big practice of six to 20 providers and my OB was like, he taught me what I'm teaching you right now, right? He taught me and empowered me to change. He said, come back to me after you give birth to Max, come back, right? And I'll do your IUD or, you know, your uterine surgery or whatever it is that you need, but 
go see Sage for your deliveries, which is exactly what I did as I went into the midwifery care of Sagebrook and her team. And it was absolutely wonderful. So let's talk about if you have chosen a provider and you're thinking, gosh, I'm getting all this pushback, like as I'm getting more and more pregnant and talking to them about I've hired a doula or the birth that I desire, and they're kind of pushing back on things. How do you navigate that experience? If you ask a 90-year-old about their birth, they can recall it like that. They Any, any birthing person can close their eyes and be transported back to the day of their labor and delivery and birth. It, this, is a, this is a moment. These are moments that stay with you for your whole life. Literally, my work partner, Colin, her grams, oh my gosh, she's such a cheerleader of our business and always says to hold those babies tight and to take care of those mamas. And she's I don't know, 80s or 90s, I can't remember. But every time Colin asks her about her birth, she she comes up with it just like that. Same with my mom. She's in her 70s. She can walk us through every single one of her pregnancies and also every single one of her losses. It's just at the tip of her tongue. It's right there, a story waiting to be told over and over again. This is not a moment you want to screw up because you picked the wrong provider. Now, sometimes all the other practices in your area are closed and not taking new patients and we got to work with what we have, right? And that's where advocacy comes in. So a couple of things you're listening to me right now and you either have one of probably the next three or four things going on. You either have absolutely the right provider and the right birthing location. You're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm with the jam practice. Like I love every appointment. I feel heard. I feel seen. I feel protected. I feel nurtured. I am so excited for my birth. That's how every birthing person should feel. The next one is I love my gynecologist, but I haven't really met any of the other providers. I'm unsure of their philosophies. Now I'm starting to get anxious. I don't know what their cesarean rate is. I don't know about when they want to induce and for what reasons. And I'm not sure I'm in the right place. The third one is, oh no, I am definitely in the wrong place. I just went to an appointment. I told them I hired a doula. I want an unmedicated birth and I'm planning to come in in the middle of transition slash pushing. And they told me that they don't do delayed cord clamping and that they wouldn't do an unassisted delivery of the placenta. And that basically everything that I want, like they're saying no. And it's, and it's my body. It's my uterus, my vagina. It's my baby. And there isn't any evidence that they're giving me to support why they don't align with what I align with. Um, Time to switch, right? So buckets two and three, I would definitely switch. And number four is, Heidi, I'm not pregnant yet, but I'm trying. And I have the right team for fertility. 
right? I'm going to the fertility clinic. I'm going to see this obstetrician gynecologist that's helping me to get pregnant. But once I become pregnant, how do I know they're the right team? Well, let me give you a couple of things that I tell the people that are interviewing me, right? Google reviews, all like all the reviews, right? Get on Facebook and into those parenting groups. Like in my area, we have like, it's called like mom to mom and moms coming together and CLT moms. I mean, Charlotte moms, there's so many. And then you type a little sentence that says, who had XYZ birth? So if you want an unmedicated birth, who had an unmedicated birth and loved their provider and experience? You're going to see a pattern with the names that start popping up right? So ask other birthing persons around your city that are had a similar birthing experience to the one that you're visioning and ask them who they worked with, right? Then ask who not to use, right? Like, are there any practices that these parents don't recommend if I want to have whatever type of birth you want to have, right? And I'm usually probably talking about a low intervention birth, So the next thing that I would do is start a list of interview questions when you go in. Like, hey, here's an example. I just interviewed Jenna Lee Rude. Her episode's coming out tomorrow. So Jenna Lee Rude said, uh, the midwife came in and said, what kind of birth are you envisioning? And she said, like a home birth, but in a hospital. And the midwife was like, awesome. Go home then. Come back and go for a walk. Come back in a little bit. So really supportive of her cheerleader. She wasn't like, well, why don't you come in? Because you're five minutes apart and we'll like add some Pitocin and break your water, right? She was like, go for a walk on the greenway and come back when your contractions are a little bit closer together. Make sure that you are interviewing and speaking up. But the next thing is you have to be educated, right? These providers are very educated. So if you want the the cord to stop pulsating, you need to understand the science behind that so that you can advocate for it, right? Why do you want delayed cord clamping until it stops pulsating? You need to have an answer for that. Why do you want the cord milked? Why do you want an unassisted delivery of a placenta? Why do you want an unmedicated birth? Why do you want to give birth in whatever position you choose and not be laying flat on your back? Why do you want to have a doula? Spend your pregnancy, educate, listen to this podcast. I give you all these answers in this podcast. Listen to evidence-based birth, right? Get a membership to evidence-based birth. I love that website with Rebecca Decker, right? Do all of the things. Read all of the books. Read my book. Read Emily Oster's book, Crib Sheet. Like read, do all of the things, right? I can give you a list of all of my favorite books, right? Join Birth Story Academy. Let me teach you hands-on right? But be educated because there's going to be a moment where you or your birth partner or hopefully your doula is going to have to speak up on your behalf. Even in the most affirming practices of of body autonomy and maternal and fetal outcomes are amazing compared to all the other practices, there's always going to be a little moment of um, advocacy, or moments of. And so this week, I wanted to share with you what happened to my client because she chose the wrong provider. She loved her provider, 
But in an, a 13-day stay at the hospital, guess who never came to the hospital once? Thank you, COVID. But her doctor. And so we saw three different providers who had three very different st- sets of standards. There was no continuity of kind of care in this uh, obstetrician practice. And I want to tell you some of the things that we heard and that um, happened over a three, four-day induction that ended in a cesarean section. Now, it ended in a cesarean section, rightfully so, right? Mom had preeclampsia. There was meconium. The baby was having lates after every um, contraction, which is when the heart rate dips when a contraction ends. And it turns out that the cord was wrapped twice around the baby's neck. And the safest thing was a delivery via the belly. I 100% adhere and concur to that, okay? And that is because, as everyone here that listens knows my story, while there is Wharton's jelly, this lubricant all around the umbilical cord, if the cord is short and it's wrapped around your baby's like arm, leg, neck twice, right? It's hard for the baby to descend. So in this particular induction, the baby was not descending, which means the head was at a negative three station above the ischial spines, okay? And so they did a cervical exam here and there, not too frequently, but the baby was always negative three, negative three, negative three. So they were doing all of these things to induce her because um, outrageously high and unsafe blood pressures, and the baby was not descending, And it turns out that the safest way was a belly birth. And my child has cerebral palsy from a double nuchal cord. I don't want anyone to be scared by that, right? One to three percent of births should be performed via cesarean to save lives or save the quality of life um, to avoid birth injuries, right? Like I pushed my baby out vaginally with a double cord, not, and he had a stroke and he has cerebral palsy. Can't go back in time. Okay, is what it is. But with a hospital birth and continuous fetal monitoring, if your baby starts to show signs, you know, I always say the ba- your baby is the keeper of all of the knowledge. They know what is best for them. They know how they need to be born. And if we do an induction and we push too hard and they push back, meaning they have meconium or they have some heart decelerations, we need to listen to our babies. And this is where we take a deep breath in. I am healing. Exhale. I am whole. And my other one is inhale. I accept. Exhale. I surrender. So we found ourselves in this situation But the days leading up to it, it was, even if the baby hadn't indicated a belly birth, I felt like we were going to end there anyway, because that's where this practice, they wanted her to have a cesarean section. Here's how I know that. First obstetrician comes in and says, literally the sentence, well, you know, I've never seen anyone get induced. She did say first time pregnancy. Any first time pregnancy get induced and go unmedicated. Everyone gets an epidural. 
I'm over here like cringing as the doula. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I'm like, I got induced and went unmedicated. Weird. I was like, if I could do it, I'm pretty sure she can do it because I was 37 and she's like early 20s <laughs> with lots of energy and vigor. Like, please don't come in here with the energy telling my client, like, this is what it should look like. Hey, how are you doing? Man, I know you didn't want to end up here with preeclampsia. Let me give you a hug. I looked at your birth plan. You want to go unmedicated? Let's do it. I absolutely believe in you. I am imagining that your body knows exactly what to do. I know that you can do this, right? And instead, the OBGYN said, oh gosh, I've never had anybody do that. Well, guess what? I looked her up. She just graduated from residency in 2021. So, you know, as my mid-40s advocate, angry kind of, this is where the sermon gets in. I was like, Jesus, come into my soul right now. But I mean, I pushed back. This is what a doula does. I pushed back and I said, you know, that is not helpful. I had an unmedicated birth. She can have an unmedicated birth. In fact, most of my clients, 71% of them go unmedicated every year and 25% of them are induced. Isn't that a wild statistic that you have never seen anyone be induced and not get an epidural, but I have, the majority of my clients have, what do you think the difference is? Because I think it's education partnered with nurture, partnered with hip squeezes, partnered with movement, partnered with encouragement and attitude of birth is not hard. You are strong. You are wildly capable of doing anything. And providers are just, a lot of providers are just not walking into the birth space with that. Now, this particular person was also a, a, a victim of abuse, right? Her birth plan was really important. And so we took a lot of time to make it and turn it in. In Birth Story Academy, you will get three birthing templates. And I'm going to walk you through in every module pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuitions for each of those decisions so that you are making educated and empowered decisions. This mom did. One of those educated and empowered decisions was to take a sleep aid at the start of her induction so that she could be rested so that when the, the onset of active labor began, she wasn't totally wiped out and exhausted from someone coming in every five minutes to move her monitors and take her blood pressure and flip her, or do all the things, you know. And so the doctor, while in my presence, said, well, we will give her Ambien at 9 p.m. Y'all, they didn't come with that Ambien until 1.30 in the morning. Now, what kind of care is that, Right. Now, I was gone, right, because she wasn't in active labor and it was bedtime, you know, but someone in that room should have been responsible for her getting her Ambien at nine o'clock at night. You don't wake someone up, woke her up at 1.30 in the morning to give her Ambien. I mean, I can't even. Point two, we talked about history of eating disorder, and I do with all of my clients, right? Um. We talk about your history and withholding food is not only 
not evidence-based. It is unethical, especially when we're looking at a three to five day induction. And the doctor said to her, you can go a couple days without food. Didn't even look at her chart. So I had to drive over to the hospital, walk in the hallway, grab the OB and say, she has a severe history of an eating disorder. It is unethical and not evidence-based to be withholding food from her. We have got to change our plan. They were cruising along with side attack, side attack, side attack, side attack every four hours. I'm like, pause. Let's eat a meal and then do some Cervidil overnight, which is 12 hours. Okay, but we got to slow it down. But I, you know, I don't, you guys, I don't know what you guys do without a doula. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm like, for the love of it, hire a doula and make sure that you have the right provider. And hopefully I'm giving you some of those tools up front in this episode to choose the right provider or to ask yourself, am I with the right provider? Ask the provider, are you the right provider? Right? And build out these birth plans in advance. Then upload them to your portal so that you, and then say to your provider, hey, let's go over uh, my birth plans on my 36 or 37 week appointment because I want to have these conversations when I'm not in labor rather than with your provider that is not you, like your provider partner, um, and I never see you and then they've never seen my birth plan. So I want them legally documented in my chart. So Log on to your portal, hit send a message, hit attach and attach your birth plan and write a note that says, these are my birth preferences. I am educated and I want to talk about them and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page so that we're not like in a fight in the middle of your labor. It's like so uncomfortable, you guys. Okay. Twice in this birth, we heard, well, that's what science says. That is a direct quote two times. I'm like, that is not evidence-based care. That's what science says, right? Okay, great. I, I'm sitting here. What article are you talking about? What study? I am happy to read it. I am happy to look it over, right? But like, that's what science says. That's not what, that's not what you say to a birthing person. Like, ask your provider, would you say that to me in labor? If I put on my birth plan that I want you to milk the cord, would you look at me in the eyes and say, we don't milk the cord? Because that's what one of the providers just said. The provider literally said, I'm not going to milk the cord and give your baby all of the rich, amazing stem cells that they need from their cord blood. Because there's also waste in the umbilical cord. True, right? But guess what? If you milk the cord and you give all of the baby, you push all of that cord blood all the way up to the baby. And yes, some of the waste goes back to the baby. I'm pretty sure your baby has two kidneys and is really good at filtering waste. And they will, they filtered the waste out the umbilical cord. They will filter this waste um, and poop it out and pee it out, right? Like it's going to get filtered. But they're, the benefit of the stem cells versus losing that benefit like okay a couple hours that waste is going to be filtered out a, a, in a different way educate yourself on milking the cord educate yourself on delayed cord clamping I have a free guide to delayed cord clamping at birthstory.com under the workbook if you want to read about it educate yourself on eating during labor 
I just mentioned evidence-based birth podcast and Rebecca had just uh, published all of this great evidence on um, in the history also on why people withhold food in labor. And so I'd love for you, you to listen to that podcast and I'll link to it in the show notes. Talk to your provider in advance and make sure that they're the right person for you. You are unique. You are special. Your story is important. You are a paying freaking customer. Okay? So if you have a history of sexual abuse or trauma, a balloon and Pitocin at the same time for an induction is really invasive and traumatic. An obstetrician should come into that room and say, let's talk about your history. Let's talk about what feels safe for you. You should choose a provider that loves you, cares about you, hears you, nurtures you, advocates for you. Like, I wish I didn't have a job, y'all. Being a doula used to not be about advocacy. It used to be about emotional and physical support. And now it's like me freaking fighting with all the providers all the time, and I hate it. But I want to come to you and give you this doula diaries today on how to choose the right provider, what not, what having the wrong provider looks like. Write your birth plans, upload them, write a letter to your nurse, write a letter to the obstetricians on call, let them know your history, let them know about your unique self, right? Have someone in the room who is your witness, who can advocate for you, who makes you feel safe, But if you have the right doula, the right birth partner, the right birthing location, and the right provider, which takes research in advance, look up those hashtags, follow those mommy and parenting groups, ask for the statistics, get yourself educated so that you can speak up and advocate, right? Have the conversations in advance. And listen, if you are one of those people that is like, I cannot, I cannot do that, right? Like every single thing I just told you about this, you know, I was pushing back, right? To Down to the point where they didn't let me in the OR for the cesarean section. And I was like, that's funny. I'm always in the OR. I used to do neurosurgery. <laughs> like pretty sure I can sit here and hold her hand and help her do skin to skin. And they assured me a nurse was going to be with her. This is one last point on this. They said, oh, a nurse will be with her. She's going to take care of her. So I pull the nurse in the hallway. We have a chat. I tell her her history and how it's so important that the nurse doesn't leave her side. Well, guess what? The nurse has to leave your side because she has a medical job to do. So there's my client all alone in the OR, no doula, no birthing person, no nurse to be found because the nurse had a medical job to do. And yet these hospital systems continue to not allow doulas in the OR. I would have never left her side. I would have been her witness. I would have been her mom, grandma, sister, friend, nurturer. I would have been wiping her mouth as she vomited so she wasn't throwing up alone. And then when her husband was welcomed into the OR because they separate them for anesthesia, I would have been taking care of him too. 
I hope you will consider hiring a doula, joining Birth Story Academy, having these conversations in advance. But if there's anything I want from today's episode, I just want you to ask yourself, if I'm trying to get pregnant and I'm on a pregnancy journey, how do I choose the right provider? Go through some of those steps. If I am pregnant, am I with the right provider? If it is too late to switch, it is never too late for advocacy. Write those birth plans, write a letter, upload them, talk to your provider in advance, and then take a deep breath in, inhale. I am healing. Exhale. I am whole. Thank you, Anna Greenberg from Peloton for that. Inhale with me again. I accept. Exhale. I surrender. Inhale. Yes, I can. Exhale. I am powerful. Inhale. I am strong. Exhale. I am wildly capable of doing anything. I hope you guys have a great week. See you tomorrow for Jenna Lee Rude, Birth Story. Hey guys, I was coloring this week with my son Jagger and he started kindergarten this year and I'll never forget the neurologist telling me that my child was going to be left-handed because his right hand was not going to work. You see, Jagger suffered from a stroke at birth from lack of oxygen to the brain when he had a double nuchal cord, meaning the cord was wrapped around his neck two times. We didn't find out he had cerebral palsy until he was two years old. And in one of those first neurology appointments, they said, you know, he's never going to be an Olympic athlete and he's definitely going to be left-handed because the left side brain injury affects the right side of the body. So for years, I would always put the crayon and the marker in both his left and his right hand, trying to get his brain to sort of wake up and utilize the right side of his body. But you see, I was limited to actions like physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy and putting a marker in my child's right hand or left hand and reminding him to use his left leg and his right leg to go up the stairs for years because that was my only option because I didn't bank his cord blood. If I had banked Jagger's cord blood and tissue, I would have had the opportunity to have given my child the gift of a stem cell transplant. That stem cell transplant would have helped his body go into heal and response mode. I could have paid $35 a month with Anja Health as an insurance policy in case my children had a birth injury or developed childhood leukemia or as adults had diabetes or heart disease or liver disease. Because cord blood and tissue banking in those stem cells are the future of science. Instead, I had to quit my job, take my child to lots of doctor's appointments, and utilize markers and crayons trading right hand and left hand to map a new neural pathway around where his brain was injured and was dysregulating the movements of his body. So I'm on a mission with Catherine Cross, the CEO of Anja Health, and we are spreading awareness Her brother had cerebral palsy. My child has cerebral palsy. We are spreading awareness on how inexpensive cord blood and tissue banking can be. And you can still do delayed cord clamping. 
So I hope you will check out Anja Health today, A-N-J-A health.com and learn all about cord blood and tissue banking. I am trying to help parents avoid the regret, shame, and guilt that I carry around every day by not making the decision to bank my child's cord blood and tissue, which could have significantly changed and impacted his way of life.